It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hoffman-Smith. All right, welcome into another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. Daniel Gallon's here with me. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We're getting you up to speed on Penn State football and looking at uh, recruiting and putting a bow on the 2022 cycle. We'll officially kind of do that in the weeks ahead as we approach the second National Signing Day. But we did see this week national recruiting rankings getting updated and finalized for the 22 class. And we saw a little bit of movement and can draw some conclusions about Penn State's class within that. We're going to start, though, with some early speculative conversation through the Big Ten about potentially making changes to how they go about scheduling games. The, the big one, and this is from The Athletic and Scott Docterman from, from there, and talking to Gary Barta, the Iowa athletic director, and just some early breadcrumbs on, on what this could mean. Essentially, I mean, the, the biggest things, Daniel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, are just the, the idea of pot- potentially dropping from nine Big Ten games to eight, and then taking that step that we saw over the summer it was, uh, as things, you know, college football started to sound more and more like an episode of Survivor is this alliance forming between the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC that could maybe have some sort of Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12 challenge component to it where you have one of those games that, uh, you know, and I think the upshot with that would be um, you can schedule it sort of short notice. You can have that spot filled on your calendar. You can kind of draw matchups up based on how things are going. Um, but also just the idea then uh, of doing away with divisions and the early conversation on that front. So we could see some sweeping changes here. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're going into a, a new future in college football and nobody's quite sure exactly what it's going to look like from the college football playoff front. But it did seem like removing divisions could be be a good way to go what are your thoughts on all this yeah I think that my first reaction when I saw it was I was like okay like this is something like I'm listening I think that's what I when I retweeted the article that's what I said um, because it's it's something different it changes things up a little bit and I think that it provides the Big Ten with a little bit of a little bit more like flexibility and a little bit the potential for a little bit more variety I think that when you kind of break things down a little bit like yeah, I mean, I think the end result, when you look at what some of the teams in this conference have done, are probably going to be pretty much the same. No matter what happens, Ohio State will be up near the top, Michigan, Michigan State. Like, it'll still be kind of the usual suspects, but I think that this kind of changes the pathway there. And I think also just kind of switches things up a little bit. Um, I think the proposal called for three permanent opponents and then five rotating opponents. 
And I think that as these conferences get so big, I mean, the SEC is going to go to 16 that I think that this kind of helps you to just from like a purely like aesthetic standpoint. I think that's kind of what stood out to me a lot with it is that, okay, like there's like a lot of like nuance that you kind of have to, I guess, cut through in terms of how competitive will this be? Who will get Ohio State as their permanent opponent every year? Who will draw Michigan as their permanent opponent every year? But I think that just from kind of a 10,000 foot perspective, like, you know, I think that this year was the first year that Penn State had gone to Wisconsin since 2013. I think that's what they said. Like, I think that those are the types of things that this can kind of help alleviate and kind of help add that variety, um, which is, I think, with college football as a product, I think is something that that people really like. So I wouldn't say it levels the playing field, but it'll change the playing ground a little bit might make things a little bit easier for Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana to maybe get a couple more wins to maybe build their programs up a little bit more. But then just from a purely kind of college football perspective, I think that you'd be bringing in different teams in the Beaver stadium on a more kind of regular basis, kind of switching things up a little bit more. Um, And I know that that's probably not necessarily the first thing that a lot of people get drawn to, but for me as, as an observer, that was kind of the, one of the first things that popped into my head. Well, the Big Ten had taken this position and and crafted these divisions, the East and the West, um, based on geography or whatever, and they never really hinted that they would ever consider changing them up, even though year after year after year, it kind of demanded it. Um, to have the 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 east west divisions be a little bit more balanced than than what they were, so the options there were either to balance that out, change things around, admit that there was kind of a flawed grouping to begin with, or do something like this and just blow the whole thing up and let the pecking order sort itself out in a little bit more arbitrary fashion let you know you're you're going to craft these schedules with the five rotating opponents and the the three permanents and uh and the best teams will emerge at the top of it. You know, you're going to have some seasons where uh, you'll have a a pretty easy schedule because you can't really predict from one season to the next who's going to be where. And and I get all that. But for the most part, you should have some balance in terms of the schedule that everybody plays whenever you don't have those division lines. You don't have Wisconsin getting, you know, five easy games a year and Penn State getting essentially zero easy games a year. So uh, Maryland Rutgers getting zero easy games a year for, for them too. So I think um, in terms of balancing out how the conference actually plays out, uh, you can do away with whoever wins the East wins the big 10. Whoever was winning the East was winning the big 10. And that's just not a healthy place to be for, for any league, whether you believe that divisions are the best way to go or no divisions is the best way to go. They, the big 10 has to do something to level that out once and for all. And they, you know, from my vantage point, were too proud to really go back and, and read, redraw the lines by division. Yeah. And I think one thing that I think some people kind of missed, I guess, I mean, When I tweeted about this yesterday, I immediately had a couple of responses from people that are like, well, like Penn State will still get screwed in this, which I guess in those people's minds means that Penn State will still have to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State um, every year, which obviously might not necessarily be the case. Um, But I think that and someone also else brought up like, oh, well, TV revenue. So like Penn State will play Ohio State every year. But I think that the one thing that you really have to remember is that this is really about playoff access for kind of the, if the playoff expands, the opportunity to get more teams in there. 
And I think that that's the TV revenue that the Big Ten wants. Obviously, their deal with Fox and their media rights deal, I mean, they're going to keep printing money for, I guess, the foreseeable future. But um, the playoff pie, I mean, the Big Ten, they don't get that every year. Um, And so this will kind of give them an opportunity to do that because you won't necessarily have Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, even Wisconsin, um, and maybe even Iowa, like you won't really have them kind of cannibalizing themselves every year. Like there's a chance that you can get further into November and kind of still have, you know, maybe three teams in that 12 team playoff conversation. And you won't really have to worry about kind of the, the cannibalization. So that was like another factor that kind of stood out to me is that that's kind of what this is about. This is about figuring out how you can get more teams kind of to the finish line as 11 and one, 10 and two uh, teams so that they have good and they have good playoff resumes. We can get into the alliance scheduling thing a little bit. You know, they'll have another power five game on their resume. Um, I think that that's kind of what, what stands out to me. I think that that's kind of what you have to think about that. This isn't necessarily just about the big 10 right now. This is about the college football playoff. This is about kind of the, the big, even bigger picture than just, all right, who's going to be the last team in Indianapolis and, is it going to be Ohio State every year for the next 15 years? And by the way, you brought up a good point about college football diehards. I love how college football diehards, no matter what your team is, your team always stinks and everybody's out to get your team. There's all there, there's a lot of that going on. Like I, I have seen Alabama fans discontent with the way things are going because of a one or two game stretch. You know, you would have pulled them after like week four or five or whatever this past season, they would have been down on Nick Saban and say, oh, I think it might be time for a change. Like college football diehards are amazing. But so if you follow <laughs> an East team, uh, you tend to look at it as like it's it's unfair because the West, you know, there's a cakewalk to the Big Ten championship game. Then they're a win away from from getting something that maybe they didn't earn. So on the flip side of that, I think you have if you're Wisconsin or Iowa specifically, you're not really waiting, you know, in some cases until the Big Ten title game to validate whether your resume is any good or not. If you're going to see a Michigan or an Ohio State or a Penn State and you're guaranteed to to see one of those teams you're going to find out a little earlier in the year whether your you know your 9 and 0 is for real or whether you know you you built that on a little bit of good fortune and 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 good scheduling um so to, so you will start to see some balance as far as that goes too and i and i and i like that component of it if you're a penn state fan daniel would you want one of their three permanent opponents to be ohio state i think that makes sense but you know then you have to be really careful about unfairly piling on for the other, the other two. So it, it's an interesting conversation. If you're Penn state, I think you want one of those opponents to be Ohio state. So you can have that opportunity, but I don't know. Yeah. I think that you would keep Michigan state as one of the permanent opponents uh, to preserve that, that rivalry game, um, the land grant trophy, that beauty. Uh, we saw kind of the, the way that the big 10 moved the schedule this year to put Penn state, Michigan state in that last week. So I think that, all of those games of the last week are quote unquote rivalry games, uh, including Rutgers, Maryland. And I think that you would want to kind of preserve that for Penn state, because obviously Ohio state, and Michigan aren't going to move off that, that finale. They're going to play at noon. That's just kind of what it is. So I think that you keep Michigan state as one of the permanent opponents. NJ.com had a good kind of breakdown. They had Michigan state, Purdue, 
And I think Rutgers is maybe the, the three, three Penn state ones, which I think is kind of a, an interesting balance. I mean, I think just from a, a purely product standpoint, I would go Michigan state, Ohio state, and then Wisconsin or Iowa out of the West, because that would be three guaranteed kind of good games every year. But that's also me watching, you know, being a, an objective observer, wanting to watch good football and not necessarily trying to figure out how to get Penn State into the college football playoff. So I don't know. I mean, maybe you do Michigan State, Ohio State, and then Rutgers or Maryland, uh, maybe Illinois out of the West, maybe Purdue, um, maybe a, a middle tier team, because I think that the the cycles for those Big Ten West teams, too, are really sped up a lot more um, than the Big Ten East teams. Um, there's a lot more kind of variance out there in terms of, uh, a year-to-year team being good, just look at Northwestern. So that's like a little bit harder to to project. So I mean, there's the year that you could be like, oh yeah, we got we got Purdue on the schedule as our permanent opponent, like great. And then Purdue kind of hits its you know two nine one seasons in, in three or four years and is actually a tough out. So I don't know. I mean, I think that there's some some really intriguing options, and I think that the one thing that kind of gets caught up is that people are like, oh, like how fair can we make this? Um, and obviously it's not going to be purely fair, but you can make things a little bit more fair than they are now, at least in my opinion. Here, here will be my pitch. My pitch would be Michigan state, Iowa, because Penn state, Iowa games just tend to be bananas. They just, they just tend to, they, they, the, the, the fiber of that rivalry, which I, it's becoming a bit of a rivalry, especially after the way that last, this past season went. And then, um, and then Maryland. Maryland being that a regional rival type because there is a little bit of bad blood there. And I think, you know, if Maryland can kind of climb a little bit more, the blood will get a little bit worse, I think, between those two. And and you'll have a you have a shot at, at a bit of a rivalry. I feel like the Big Ten, if it really is considering how do we clear pathway that more teams could possibly get involved in, in an expanded playoff. They have to consider that Penn state has been stuck under Ohio state's thumb this entire time here. And if it weren't for Ohio state, that maybe Penn state would have already gotten there before, right? Like they, they, they have to kind of consider, and you can't, you can't shield everyone from Ohio state, but Penn state is, is, is part of that tier where if you're able to kind of loosen up that, dread that Ohio state dread that exists every single year and you cycle them in, you know, you cycle them in obviously where, where you can, but uh, not having to play them every single year. And then the other on Ohio state side, like, yeah, they're big boys. They can handle themselves. I don't, I don't think they're scared of having Michigan and Penn state both locked on their schedule every single year. But I think the big 10 has to kind of look at that and say, you know, is, is it fair to Ohio state to have those two games as, as fixtures? And if those two games are fixtures, Maybe you just give them a forfeit for the third. You know, you give them an annual forfeit for that third one or something. But uh, yeah, it, it, to 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 strike that balance of having equitable scheduling for everyone, but also you know give teams better mathematical opportunities to to be at a one or, or two loss. That's a that's a fine uh, fine line, a, a delicate balancing act. Yeah, and I think something else too that we've seen with with the SEC and would probably be even more common uh, in an expanded playoff is that losing in the losing in the Big Ten championship game wouldn't be disqualifying from the playoff. Like if you're eleven and one Penn State and you end up in there against twelve and zero Ohio State or something along those lines, that if you lose, you're you might be the eight seed instead of the the four seed or 
three seed if you win. So I think that that's something else to factor into is that um, the those conference title games, as we've already seen in terms of uh, SEC teams that haven't even made the conference title game or have lost in the title game getting into the playoff. I think that's, that's something else to factor into too. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a long-time patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Switching gears a little bit to the Alliance. I mean, where where do you kind of stand on that? Because that's something that when they announced it over the summer, had a lot of fanfare. And then they get into that news conference and they're like, well, yeah, actually, we haven't signed anything. And this isn't actually like a, a permanent thing. I mean, I'm personally not sure that it's a thing that even gets across the finish line. But I am kind of intrigued by going back down to eight conference games for the purpose of opening up a spot to get uh, another power five game ACC or the PAC 12 in there. Um, That's something that's intriguing to me. Obviously I think that for me, I really like it in theory, but I doubt a lot of uh, administrators, fans, coaches would like it in practice. You have to look at it like also, okay, as you're going into an expanded playoff future, whatever that looks like, whatever the number of teams are, are our primetime non-conference games going to be essential in that formula? You know, you're, you're doing two things. I mean, you're, you're going to break down the divisions. If they're, if what they're talking about comes to fruition, you're going to break down the divisions and try to come up with a little bit more equitable schedule. You're going to um, reduce the number of conference games. Uh, you're going to get on in some respects, the same page with the sec who they have eight conference games, but where the SEC will then play an FCS team or somebody a little bit later in the year, they're proposing that the the Big Ten would play, you know, presumably somebody, you know, maybe they get together in the spring and, and stack up the two leagues, like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 or whatever, and find uh, optimal matchups. Or, or you bring all three leagues together, just find optimal matchups. And in that sense, you know, like, yes, I wouldn't really want to see Rutgers and like Oregon state or something. But uh, I think to, to be able to match up Michigan and Oregon and then Penn state and Washington, like it, it adds some flair to it. It adds something to it. And if you make a concrete arrangement, I'm sure you can produce, you know, a, a new level of revenue off of a fixture game like that. You're able to be flexible with the scheduling. Like in in the springtime, you can go into it knowing, okay, Penn State, you're playing a home game against an ACC opponent. We'll come up with those schedules once we can kind of get a feel for how good all these teams are. I think it's promising. I just don't know how important this is going to be as we move forward. Like one of the complaints that I see going around about it is people are like, oh, well, do you really want to watch Oregon State Duke? Like, do you want to watch like, uh, Oregon State, Boston College, where, first of all, I mean, Oregon State, they're a little bit on the rise a little bit. Jonathan Smith is doing some nice things in Corvallis. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you you still have Indiana Rutgers every year in the Big Ten. Like, you still have, like, Illinois Northwestern. Like, what's the difference between Penn State playing Indiana or Illinois and, and, and Oregon State? I mean, that's at least something different. It's, like, that's the big thing for me is that, like, oh, yeah, like, I would tune into that because it's something – completely different 
that that we don't really get to see. So I think that that's that argument to me doesn't really hold water because bad teams have to play games too. And sometimes they have to play other bad teams. Like that's, that's just what it is. It's a thing where I don't really know how you kind of make it work to be equitable because you have to align the goals that because coaches have these goals every year that they want to do. They have the plan on how they do it. I mean, before the Auburn game in September, James Franklin was asked about kind of, oh, how'd this game come up? You know how? And he kind of said, he was like, well, the administration, you know, they, the administrations were talking and kind of the, it felt like the subtext uh, from him was that he'd rather have another directional Michigan on the schedule right there. And especially given how the big 10 has put conference games in the season opener slot, as kind of we saw how Penn State managed some of its younger personnel in the early part of last season, it it makes it a lot more difficult to kind of, you can't necessarily like ease into things. Like it's harder to get those young quarterbacks reps um, early in the season when, when you have that sort of game. So I think that that's kind of another factor for what the teams kind of want there. I'd rather see the Big Ten teams play SEC teams. Um, rather than ACC teams, even though there is kind of a little regional element there. I mean, Big Ten, Pac-12, you have kind of some built-in history with the Rose Bowl. So I would kind of like to to see that continue. Like the whole kind of branding and the fanfare around the alliance felt very misplaced for, for what it actually was. I mean, maybe it makes more sense in basketball where you have more games. So you can kind of do things a little bit. You have a little bit more flexibility with weekend tournaments and stuff. To me, the perfect football schedule is eight conference games, two kind of interesting non-conference games, whether it's a rivalry game from a team from another conference and then another kind of power five team and then just kind of do whatever you want with those last two games. Do what you need to do to kind of have your team in the right spot. And then you get into on a school by school basis. There are double bonuses whenever if you're a coach looking for a team that's going to ease ease you into your schedule for for the year. You want a kind of a cupcake. Uh, also, getting teams at home it helps it helps pay pay the bills at each of these schools. So all this stuff is going to undergo some change. To, to me, if I if I'm bottom lining this, I, I'm seeing and if you if you factor that in, and I, I don't really maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, but like Penn State's schedule for 2022 changed a couple weeks ago. And mm-hmm. I think maybe the, the Big Ten is looking at things and saying, we need to be able to be more flexible, more dynamic in the way that we're able to adjust schedules from an equity standpoint or whatever, um, because things change. I mean, there are variables you can't really control. Um, so being able to kind of like add games that are based on a, a, a team's preparedness level, I, you know, I don't know how far they're going to drill down. Like, you know, you could say, okay, Ohio State you know, if they lose 18 starters to to the NFL, are they going to be ready to play Oregon in week one? Or should we schedule that for week four? You know, I think there's all kinds of different options at play here to try to make it, you know, a, a good entertaining matchup, but that doesn't put either any of the schools in a bad position if you're able to kind of check all those boxes. So we'll see. I think the Big Ten does seem to be posturing to a little bit more flexibility when it comes to your schedule and moving forward and how this all fits in the college football playoff. Uh, a few minutes that we'll, I, I want to spend just on, on the, the national recruiting rankings. Deny Dennis Sutton is, is somebody that I would want to start with because um, he's somebody, you know, rivals had been big on him the entire time. 
a five-star player through rivals, a top 20 ish player. I don't recall where, where he ended up falling there, but um, everybody else seemed to pick up more steam on him based on what he did in the, in the practices leading up to the all American bowl. And then what he did in that game. And now I think the excitement level around here is that, so he's what a five-star by on three and their, um, uh, their rankings number 20 overall Twenty four seven has, has him number 27 overall. Uh, and rivals, uh, he's at number. He finishes up at number seven. So a little bit of a roller coaster with 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 these um, services. But in the end, Penn State's getting a fantastic player and a player who looks more and more like he can be a fantastic player pretty early in his career. Yeah, I think that Dennis Sutton is kind of the he's an interesting case out of the the three five stars that that Penn State is bringing in. Um, Drew Aller and Nicholas Singleton are, are obviously the other ones and. I think Dennis Sutton is the only one of those three who is the the five star four on three rivals and twenty four seven. Singleton and Aller are on three and twenty four seven five stars, but still uh, rivals four stars. Obviously, the the more evaluations and kind of almost the more rankings you have on these guys, the better because it it's more kind of data to, to put together. But I think Dennis Sutton, when you look at his recruitment, um, is that he was kind of one of these like one of these early five-star guys that, that from the jump, it was very kind of clear that given his talent, his physical skills, his measurables, that he had the potential to be a big time player. Um, and so he was kind of the, almost like when you start high, sometimes it's easy. You can almost get forgotten a little bit. Um, whereas Singleton and Aller were kind of these late risers. Uh, Aller was a three-star uh, when Penn state offered him in a, a year ago, basically. And look where we are now. He's uh, 24-7 has him as the number three player in the country and the number one quarterback. I mean, that's that's quite the rise. Um, and then Singleton, uh, his rise wasn't necessarily as, I guess, steep as Aller's, but it was still pretty impressive. Whereas Dennis Sutton has been pretty much a top 100 guy for uh, the majority of his recruitment. And it's kind of the the splitting hairs almost with kind of moving him around a little bit. But I think that by all accounts, he was really great at the All-American Bowl uh, in San Antonio earlier this month. I saw some of those highlights. Like He looks the part. Um, I think he's healthy. He was dealing with an injury uh, during his senior year, and I think that Penn State fans should be uh, excited about him. I know that he was kind of the a little bit more of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind guy because he wasn't putting up the 400-yard passing games or the 300-yard rushing games like Aller and Singleton um, but I think that James Franklin kind of laid out that Dennis Sutton is one of the uh, one of the guys who isn't enrolling early, who can make an early impact as a true freshman. So this class runs deep and we'll we'll touch on 24 seven had had nine players in their final two, four, seven rankings. Let me ask you this. If you had to start, let's just take needs out of it. Let's say you're starting a football program from scratch. You can have three five star players. What positions would you want those five-star players in? Um, I would lead off with quarterback, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Edge rusher, I think, would be a, will be a top contender, and I think probably an offensive tackle. So you take that and you look at what Penn State's got just with the five-stars here. They've got a quarterback, an edge rusher, and then you throw in the need situation at running back and Nick Singleton, and it's like, I don't know if you had to pick three five stars at this point in time for Penn State's program, you know, it's it's almost an ideal fit. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, there's a lot of conversation about the offensive line, but 
I think that even if you were to bring in a five-star offensive tackle, there's the chance that he could contribute. But I've said it a ton of times. It's such a jump going from high school to college at a position that is so kind of strength-oriented where if you're a running back, you can rely on, on your speed, your athleticism. If you're an edge rusher, obviously you're still in the trenches and it takes some physical maturation. But if you have some speed, if you have some quickness, that can help make up for some of that. So I think you're definitely right. And, you know, quarterback self-explanatory, like you can't win without the quarterback. So um, that's off to a good start, but yeah, I mean, and I think when you, like you said, when you factor in what this Penn state roster looks like, all three of these guys coming in, all three of these five stars, they'll have the chance to contribute early. At least I don't, I mean, Singleton and Dennis Sutton, potentially day one, Drew Aller, I don't know, maybe day 65, day 70, uh, depending on how the season's going, how some of those games are going, um, if he can get some some reps at the end of blowouts. So I think that Penn State is in good shape and really kind of up and down this class with guys who who could potentially contribute early. I'm going to rattle off the other players who are in the 24-7 sports rankings. I'm going to close it out with a question for you about Drew Aller. So Aller's number three in the 24-7 sports rankings. Singleton's number 18. Dennis Sutton's number 27. Caden Saunders, the wide receiver from Ohio, is number 76. Drew Shelton, the offensive tackle from Downingtown West, who spent a few minutes at IMG Academy, number 156. Um, Cam Miller, the cornerback from Florida, number 158. Katron Allen, the other running back in this class, is on campus already for ING. Uh, number 176, Manheim Township, Pennsylvania wide receiver Anthony Ivey's number 181. And Makai Flowers, who's an athlete who Penn State listed as a safety uh, when they announced him at, at 241. So some pretty good balance there from uh, across the position. Good athletes. Here's my final question for you um, when it comes to Drew Aller. What would you say the risk is of him being overhyped? <sighs> I mean, it's always, it's always the risk, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not trained in this. I'm not a scout. I mean, I think the one thing that I do kind of get that, you know, makes me raise my eyebrows a little bit is when you get into kind of the, the pro comparisons. Um, and I've seen his, his pro comparison listed as, as Josh Allen. Like, obviously Josh Allen is one of the best quarterbacks and he's, he's proven himself to be that. But when you look at his career path and how much of an anomaly um, that he was, I think that he was not a good college quarterback. <laughs> you know, he, it was when he was picked by the bills. I still think at the time the pick was objectively not good. They put him in a great situation and they really got the most out of him. So it, it really did work out. And that's a testament to the bills, but just from the tools and his production, I think that there is really no precedent for doing what he did in the NFL. So I think that when you talk about like from a pure playing style, I mean, Aller's got the size, he's got the arm, um, he's got the athleticism that really makes you go, whoa. And obviously the way that Josh Allen plays right now, it's kind of like, oh yeah, like that, that's what you want out of your quarterback. But yeah, I mean, I think there's always the the danger of being overhyped, especially at a position where so much of what you're able to do is dictated by who's around you. Nick Singleton, if he comes in, um, even if he isn't necessarily productive, there will still be kind of the, the flashes, the moments, the ability to kind of make things happen where you can be like, oh yeah, like I can see that, that, that guy's a five-star, you know, he was making these plays in the backfield, making guys miss, he could get to the edge. He can make things happen where with a quarterback, it's just so much more difficult where if the wide receivers aren't, you know, hitting, 
I mean, the offensive line, I think, will play kind of a big role into into whether or not Aller can reach the ceiling. But I think the one thing that I am kind of in on when it comes to him is the fact that he was a late riser in these rankings, that he wasn't like a wire-to-wire number one type of guy, that you have seen that there is a trajectory that he's on. And I think that that kind of leads uh, a lot more space for development. Um, I was talking to Bob yesterday. We were talking about other five stars Penn State has brought in. Parsons, Slade, Shorter. Parsons, I think, obviously is his own own class of athlete. That the fact that he was one of those wire to wire guys, and there was still room to grow on that. But with Slade and Shorter, they were the guys from very early on, and I think that there wasn't necessarily they didn't have room for that upward trajectory. That they were kind of boom, they're at their ceilings early, which kind of didn't leave as much room for development. And I think that these guys that Penn State has brought in, especially Aller, I think that their ceiling, they are still not at their ceilings. And I think that kind of bodes well. Uh, so that's my my long answer into saying, yes, he's 18. He definitely could have been overhyped, but I yeah. would probably say that the odds are is that he's been pretty accurately rated and ranked. I agree with that too. And I think um, it can sound unfair to compare him to somebody who's already established as a pro, but when it comes to, you know, body type and, and arm strength and, you know, Josh Allen had a big accuracy problem. That's to, to your point, making him the outliers that you just don't acquire accuracy over time. Historically speaking, you don't really improve your accuracy all that much. He did. Uh, but Drew Aller, you know, I think the creativity and the ability to move around, the the flair to improvise when he needs to, the ability to throw off platform, all those makings are there that he's able to, he, his game is diversified. He's just, he's not just 6'5", 230 and can drop back and throw a fastball down the field. He's not Christian Hackenberg or Anthony Morelli or other guys that Penn State hasn't had success with. He's got other tools available to him, which I think will help, especially if the offensive line doesn't make huge strides. He's going to have to be able to kind of let let the let kind of hell break loose around him and still be able to make plays. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, people are like, oh, we've seen these big armed quarterbacks come in here before and and it hasn't worked out. I think that I think that this one is is a little bit different. I think that when you look at kind of the straight up comparisons in terms of the the athleticism and whatnot, there there might be a little bit more Trace McSorley in him than you might think based on kind of the the measurables and kind of the overall profile. Big Trace, I think that that will, if that's the way things play out, I think a lot of people will be satisfied with that. There you go. That's Daniel Gallon. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith wrapping up this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Make sure you follow Daniel on Twitter. You can do that at Daniel JT Gallon. You can find everything we do, writing, podcast, audio, video, penlive.com slash Penn State football. Make sure you download and subscribe to the Blue White Breakdown podcast on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and on YouTube as well. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. This is the Blue White Breakdown.